where you're going to get your kids.
Okay, and back to the hymnal. 183. Oh, is that it? Well, just a minute. we got to change here. redeeming work is done it's done he's done it for us and then all we have to do verse 4 says following our exalted head all we have to do is follow verse 5 why because we're made like him like him we rise and back to verse 3 because Christ has opened paradise aren't those powerful words now we go to 275 God sent his son They call him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive 
he lived and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my savior lives because he lives i can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because i know who holds a future and life is worth a living just because he lives how sweet to hold a newborn baby feel the pride and joy he gives but greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives because he lives I can face because he lives all fear is gone because I know holds the future and life is worth a living just because he lives and then one day I'll cross the river I'll fight life's fight, no war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know holds the future, and life is worth a living just because he lives. Praise the Lord, he is risen. Praise the Lord. All right, kids, I need even a little bit older kids or young adults to come up here because I need some help, okay? Sure, yeah, you're a young adult. And I'll probably use a couple of you older kids or young adult boys here in just a minute, so. Hmm? Oh, Okay. All right. Well, we've got some young adults here. That's good. All right. The passage I want to read. Let's see, Cecilia. Can you read this for me in Matthew 27, 50 and 51? Okay. Can you read this nice and loud for me? Huh? These two verses right here. Okay. Just a minute. Just a minute. Let me, let me get positioned. All right. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. 
from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were open okay. and what? The tombs were open. Okay. And I, I was going to have you read 50. Can you read it all again? Just one second. Just in case the adults out there did not... Just a second. Hold on. All right. All right. Now read into that. Verse 50 and 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yelled... Yield. <laughs> all right. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51. And Jesus. In verse 51. I'm sorry, we're just loving so much. All right. Here, Lorraine, read verse 51. Oh. <laughs> and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in, into two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were right. split. All right, and the earth shook and the rocks were split, right? So what does it say? What happened, kids? Yeah, what else happened? The veil was what? Rent in two from what? Top to bottom, so God did it. Now this veil, we think of tents sometimes as kind of a closing there for us. Have you, have you ever seen burlap that's pretty tough stuff isn't it right okay have you ever seen leather used for tent openings i don't know what they use i don't think they use leather but it was tough stuff and so the veil was torn in two from top to bottom so first let me see okay Lindsay and lily can you come here? Let's see. You grab one side, you grab the other, and let's see if you can tear that in two. Okay? Pull on it. Okay. Yeah, you guys failed. All right. Who, who wants to be next? Okay. Josie and Evelyn, you two try. Get, they're a little bit stouter. Let's see what happens. Oh, they can't. Oh. I, I should let you guys all see. See? They can't do it. Okay. All right. Evenly matched. All right. Let's have some, some young men. Uh, let's, have, let's have Silas and Caleb. Yeah. Sorry, Elijah. I'll just jump over you. All right. All right. Hold on. Let me get behind you. All right. Let's see. Now, don't pull each other onto the floor, but try to, try to work together to tear that in two. You can't do it, can you? No? Okay. Sam, and where's Shane? Come on, buddy. See, I told you I'd get you up here. All right? Here you go. Let's see if you guys... No, no, no. We want, we want it to be kind of like that veil would have been, okay? No? Okay, I was going to let you guys struggle for a while. Hey, so Jesus, when he died, he yielded up his spirit. The veil was torn in two from, from top to bottom. It wasn't done by man. And it was, over, it was into the holy of holies, right? 
So in the temple, you had several areas. You get closer to the interior. You get closer to the Ark of the Covenant. Inside, the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where they would sprinkle the sacrifice's blood on to make atonement for sin. And so when they, go, when they went in then, that day, and remember it was Passover, and Jesus is our Passover lamb, it was torn in two. There was also a great earthquake. I think, you know, in the Passion of the Christ, they have the whole floor into the Ark of the Covenant. It was, that's where the crack started with the, um, with the uh, uh, earthquake and the rocks being torn in two, showing, do you know what that shows us? Well, it's not by our work or our power or our sacrifice, our good, our good deeds, right? It's none of that that saves us, Right? It's what Jesus did on the cross. And now we can, be, we can go into the presence of the Almighty God, our Holy God. Why? Because Jesus paid for our sin, kids. It's very important you remember Jesus died for you. All right? Isn't that awesome that we could be near to God? What do you think of that? That doesn't... I don't think we fully get it, kids. But for an, a Jew who understood the significance of the veil being torn in two, it was huge. It was tremendous. So we can celebrate, not just that Jesus died, but he rose again. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for these young people, and I ask that you would just work in their lives, that they would know that you are near, and that they can come near to you. They could live for you. Lord, that we have an eternal future. I pray that they would grow up to love, serve, and know you completely. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Thanks, you young gentlemen. I'm surprised none of them were worried there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all you've done and just pray that you'd guide and direct us as we look to your word. Help us to understand it completely and fully. And Lord, um, just, just be with each person um, here today as we go out that we would understand fully um, what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm surprised that they weren't too worried because several times I was reminded this morning that it's April Fool's Day, right? Anybody get fooled this morning? Isn't it a trick the snow fell? Huh? I thought maybe that was just kind of a, I was hoodwinked or something. You know, so the, the wonderful, glorious and victorious celebration of Easter every now and again lands on this first day of April. I, I talked about it in the, you know, the monthly thing I tried to put out, the letter, newsletter I tried to put out, about how it probably started. Uh, there was kind of this, this struggle between um, the old way of, of having the calendar versus the new way of having the calendar also had to do with the church and what the church accepted. And some of them were still going by the old calendar because they still followed um, an older variety of religion at that point in time, if we want to call it religion or faith. And so the people would celebrate from the old calendar the, the, from the 25th to the 1st 
of April. And so on the 1st of April was the end of that celebration, the beginning of the new year. And so a lot of people would say April Fool's, right? Today, it's, it's just a day that people like to, to go around, to, you know, where a, maybe a college buddy puts a saran wrap under the toilet seat or uh, when a high school kid plants an air horn under the teacher's chair, sits on it and goes, makes that noise, I'm not going to make it. Uh, <laughs> it's a day when, when um, uh, people can cover onions with caramel and hand them out, thinking it's a caramel apple. Has that ever happened to you? Get tricked by them that way? I've also seen a picture of someone who perfectly uh, set full cups of styrofoam. <laughs> Don't give them to, yeah, you're right. Styrofoam co- cups of, of water uh, throughout the hallway. There's no way, place you could step without stepping on one of them. That'd be a lot of work to pick up, a lot of work to put down. Some of those tricks take a lot of work. But it's a day when, when you try to trick or fool someone. But when the Bible speaks of, of the fool, what does that mean? Biblically, fools do not learn their lesson from their mistakes they make in Proverbs 18.7. Um, I'm going to mention several characteristics of a fool just to, to, from the Bible just to help us as we begin this morning. A fool hates knowledge. In Proverbs 1.22, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. They enjoy wicked schemes. They, they proclaim folly. They spurn a parent's discipline. They speak perversity. They're quick-tempered. They get in themselves in trouble with their speech. They mock at sin, or they make fun of sin, or th- make it think it's light, not, think it's not a big deal. They uh, get in trouble with their proud speech. I think I mentioned that one already. <laughs> They're dece- deceitful. They despise their mother. They're, they're, they bring grief to their parents. Um, a foolish man commits sexual immorality in Proverbs 6.23 and 7.7-12. 7, 7 a foolish woman tears down her own house in Proverbs 14.1. We find in Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1 that it tells us that they say there is no God. A fool says there is no God. This doesn't mean that they're unintelligent, right? It doesn't mean that they're not intelligent, but it often refers to an impious person who has no perception of ethical or religious truth. So it refers more to those who reject God based more on not wanting to have to be accountable for their own sinful lifestyles. And so when you look at Proverbs 14, or Psalm 14, for instance, Psalm 14, it deals with the universal depravity of man. Their desire to sin. Therefore, they don't want to be accountable to God. So with Easter landing on the 1st of April, we should look to see what the Bible says about the fool. Right? Who is the fool? Of course, I get fooled every once in a while. I get tricked. I'm pretty gullible, really. Uh, don't use that against me, please. But, but does that mean I'm foolish or I'm a fool? When Jesus broke through the tomb, 
he split humanity into two groups. Today we are again challenged by what really matters. The core of the matter is, do you believe and do you follow him? Because the truth of the gospel breaks through the foolishness. Uh, breaks through the hubbub. And my clicker doesn't work, I guess. I might have bumped something. But the response of Easter defines everyone. It puts you in one camp or the other, whether you're a believer or whether you're not. And so we need to look at some core issues or what really matters. So the first core, uh, core issue is the reality that no fool trusts in Him. No fool trusts in Jesus Christ. Or we could say, you're a fool to know of Him and not trust in Him, right? Why should we trust in Him? Well, Easter's all about why we can trust in Him, right? In the bulletin you'll find... Uh, a list of religious leaders who are still in the grave. Is Jesus in the grave? No. He's not in the grave. Therefore, you can trust Him, and you, if you don't, you're a fool. And so when we look at this, and the passage I'd like to look at is 1 Corinthians 1.18-25. through 25. 1 Corinthians 1.18-25. through 25. Follow along as I read it, please. 1 Corinthians 18, or 1, 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We can go on. It goes all the way to chapter 3 in his discussion about the wisdom of God versus the foolishness of man. But when I look at this passage, it reminds me that I need to trust God's plan. I need to trust His plan, which could be hard to do for some. And as you go through 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, you see that the cross, he states that the cross is not foolishness. The cross is not foolishness. Although to sinful humanity, it is. Why would God send His Son to die? He, he lived, right, the one song we sing, to die. He lived to die. He came to die. Well, we need to trust God's plan because Jesus had to die so that we could be saved. God's plan saves. In verse 21, we see that it is those who believe who are saved. 
but to those who perish or to those who are wise in or of the world, it is foolishness. Why do they see it as foolishness? Because you can't boast in your own power, right? You can't, the kids couldn't tear the piece of cloth, could they? But man thinks that they can save themselves. Your, your own pride does not save you. It is simply by faith. It's not by works. The foolishness of God, if there is such a thing we find in this passage, which there is not, is wiser than the greatest wisdom of man in verse 25. So some stumble at the cross, don't they? His crucifixion. Some laugh at the cross in 23. Verse 23. The Greeks look at the cross or looked at the cross from a human point of view. And in verse 20, Paul called three men to bear witness, or three different types of people. We see the wise, or the expert, right? We see the scribe, or the interpreter, and the writer. And we see the disputer, the philosopher, and debater. They all fell quite short of the reality of understanding the power of God's plan. Not only do we need to trust in His plan, but we need to trust in the power of God seen in Christ in verse 24. Only some believe and experience the power and the wisdom of the cross. And in verse 25, the weakness again of God is stronger not just the foolishness of God, if there's such a thing, but the, the weakness of God is stronger than the greatest strength of man. So there's power. Power in the saving uh, work of Jesus Christ. And there's power in the message. And the message, therefore, is powerful because it tells us of what Jesus has done and who he is. So the power of God is salvation. It is salvation. The power of God is the resurrection. Acts 17. If you have a, a Bible with you, you turn quickly to Acts 17. Uh, 1 Corinthians talks, chapter 1 talks a lot about the crucifixion, but that really involves his resurrection as well. In verse 17, we have Paul speaking to those in Athens, I believe at Mars Hill. And in verse 30 through 32, he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So what did they do? In verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So some sneered. They laughed. It was foolish that Jesus would come and die and then be raised again. And this passage is about the resurrection. But we see Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wisdom because this message makes sense and power because it works. 
But the reality is it's counterintuitive that God would come. It's, it's familiar to us, right? Familiar to us that Jesus came and died. But if you speak to anyone who's unfamiliar to the reality of the gospel, it's counterintuitive that he would come to pay for our sins, that he would come and die. It's counterintuitive. It's foolish. It goes against our pride and, and the world's wise thinking that God would come and become a man and die and be raised again so that we could be saved. Sadly, many people are tricked into believe, believing that this simple truth of the gospel, the simple reality of, of faith in Jesus Christ is, is far too easy and therefore untrue. Easy for us. Heartbreaking and harsh for our Savior. But we must trust in Him. Don't be fooled by the world or the ruler or the prince of the power of the air. The second core issue is that we should follow him if we believe right we're not saved by works but we're saved by faith to do good works really don't i think it's easier to think about i'm saved to follow him which will lead me to do exactly what he wants me to do what are good works good works are the things that he calls us to do what he guides us into doing but we find that no fool follows him. That is, you're not a fool to follow him. You're not a fool to follow him. You're, you're a fool to know him and not follow him, right? So following Jesus, even though if you believe in him and you follow him and therefore you're not a fool, still following Jesus creates controversy so it seems... Again, that it's wrong or foolish to follow him. All it's going to add is controversy. Listened uh, this week to a man who was a Muslim who still has a has family that often puts a bounty on his head, and his family scorns him or thinks that they their their faith or their religion is is saying that he's being punished if he's going through harsh difficulties, struggles, physical pain, or any issue here in the world. Because they think, well, if you follow the right God, you will not have any trouble. But that's not what Christianity teaches us. Our God doesn't promise us a, a, a free ride, an easy time. And really, if we truly follow Jesus, it will create controversy they will say, you are a fool to follow Christ. In, in 1 Peter, remember we have our living hope who gives us joy, or we can rejoice because of our living hope in 1 Peter 1. He was given them this word because they were being persecuted for their faith so they could still rejoice in Him greatly even though they are suffering because of their faith. Why would we follow Jesus if he doesn't promise us a free ride? Because he promises intimacy with him and a relationship with the Father. 
He promises eternal life. Uh, he promises us eternal life. So even though we may face controversy, we need to follow him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we find in this passage, really the context is about unity because some of them were saying, oh yeah, I was baptized by this guy. No, I was baptized by this guy. Oh, I was baptized by Paul. And there's creating division. They were beginning to follow the false philosophy or wisdom of the world. And so he's telling them the world's wisdom is foolishness. Therefore, trust in Christ and the crucifixion. And if you trust in him, it will lead you to unity. The wisdom of words was a thing that had seduced this church, the church of Corinth, and that had started to cause division. So Paul speaks to them about the wisdom of God, about his plan and power, about the crucifixion of Jesus, about the power of salvation, and the power of Christ can bind us together. When you follow Jesus completely, the world's way of thinking is torn apart and unity is created within the church. Why are we here this day, despite the snow? Why are we here this Easter morning? It seems foolishness, if you really think about it, not just to stay home and relax if Christ had not died for us and been raised again. Doesn't it? I don't need a social club. I'm the last one that'd care to be in a social club. But I have a Savior, and therefore I have brothers and sisters in Christ, and I can rejoice in Him together with them on this day. Why do we go every Sunday? I mean, I know in Hebrews we're told not to forsake the assembling together. But why do we listen to that? Why do we care? Because Jesus died and paid for our sins and He rose again on this day of the week. Why do we give financially? Or why do we give our time? Why did the men come here on a Thursday evening and stay until about 11.30 to put up this cross? Because they love Jesus. Because we love Jesus. We know what He's done. Why do we send money overseas to missions? Because we don't want others to know Jesus. Why all this foolishness? It's not foolish. It would be if Jesus was still in the grave. Is He in the grave? No. He is risen. That's why we're here. We have not been duped. We have a risen Savior. And because we have a risen Savior, it will create worship. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, 12, and 14, we find that we were saved to the praise of His glory. Being saved brings Him praise, brings Him glory. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, we sing songs to our risen Savior. We are to live as wise in that passage. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we, therefore, are to sing praises together. Everything hinges on what Jesus has done. He died according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, He rose again according to the Scriptures. 
and over 500 brethren at one time had seen Him risen, we can trust in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus wasn't raised, then believing in Him would be foolish. But He rose again. We are not duped. The grave is empty, even though Caiaphas's was found and it was full. No one has found Jesus' body. We have not been duped. Therefore, when we see the truth of the Gospel, it breaks through the foolishness of this world. We have a reason to live. We have a reason to come on a Sunday morning to, to celebrate and worship, right? We have a reason for everything. And if we're not following Jesus, first, if we don't trust in Him, then we won't follow Him. But if we're not following Him in everything we do, it's foolish. Satan wants to trick us. He wants us to waste our life. Let's not waste our life. Let's trust in Him. So what is foolish again? To trust in our own work. To ignore the problem of sin and death. It's amazing how quickly we forget the pain of losing friends. And we may, you know, I, I know... Some of you have lost someone very, very dear to you. It makes an impact, doesn't it? We need to remember what Jesus has done. We may mourn, but we do not mourn like those who have no hope because Jesus is living and our loved ones who have trusted in Him are with our Savior. And we will see them again. But many people in this world they ignore the reality of the approaching end of their life. Even when they have warnings. But when we see Jesus, we're not duped. When we follow Jesus, we're not duped. The time we have here that we live, use to live for Him is very valuable and we must do it. <laughs> but to ignore the empty tomb is foolish. So again, I trust that you're following Jesus. Don't quit. You know, a lot of times we think, and, and one of the things I was reminded of this morning at sunrise service is we think that if we trust in Jesus, He'll take away all the pain and the suffering. Our life's a lot better without Him. It's livable, Danette said this morning, because of Christ. It's livable. I can make it through. But we don't trust in Him so that He could just make everything easy. We trust in Him because He gives us eternal life and a relationship with the Father. Praise the Lord. He is risen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for what You've done. Help us as we go through this week, this year, to not waste our lives but to spend it in worship of You, to spend it following You and serving You. Lord, just bind our hearts together as brothers and sisters in Christ, bent on one purpose, 
of revealing how great you are to everyone we meet. Give us the strength and the vision to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.